Trending Insurrection. Quit it. Welcome. This is Lou. I'm here with the great Dave. Hey, Lou. How you doing? And this is Dave. I'm here with the uh, incomparable Lou. Wow. That's a great word. Incomparable. Yes. You know, you keep saying I'm here with the great Dave, and I'm like, and I'm just here with this guy named Lou. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> I figured I should come up with a word. Thank you. I, you know, I appreciate that because, you know, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. That's right. And they're always glad you came. And your uh, uh, descriptor. <laughs> okay, so we were talking about something really interesting. I hear, I, I don't know if we, t- I, I want to talk about that tweet of yours. Uh, which, oh, I know you, that do, tweet? you do many, but I want to talk about the about last the one that you, you did about the we and the socialism. I think that's really fun. All right, all right. So this was actually uh, a couple weeks back, and, and if you are looking for this, you might have a hard time finding it, but uh, there was somebody who was, you know, like semi-famous. Um, you know, he's a commenter. He uh, does does some sports commentary, um, and I I think he's been on like ESPN before. So, anyway, the point is, like, I see him in my feed, and I don't normally see uh, sports stuff in my feed, but I happen to notice that he said something about. Um, the team and it was uh the phillies and he's like we are spending this money you know blah 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 towards the end of the year and i was like you know that's how you can tell the difference between like a socialist sports fan and a capitalist sports fan the capitalists will be like they spent that money and the socialists will be like we spent that money and i got a lot of heat over that <laughs> that's <laughs> a little, awesome. little bit of heat a little bit of heat okay that's awesome I, I shouldn't say too much because i mean obviously like his fans he responded, right? So his fans then kind of jumped on me. And, what did he say? What did he say? Um, well, he said that was just dumb. And, you know, I had the opportunity to not speak in that particular situation. And I should have taken it. Wait. So you had the, you had the ability, but not the capacity. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, the thing is, like, I wasn't really even... I wasn't even trying to, like insult him or hit him well, like you that called him a socialist That's well he is sauce. a socialist and he's like an open like i'm pretty sure that he considers himself to be some kind of a collectivist i mean i don't know exactly what he is but um i think he's a socialist and uh, but i've i mean he's he's a left-leaning politician and pundit so like hey you know what if your problem is that people are seeing you as socialist be less socialist. I mean, that's that's my solution to it. But <laughs> <laughs> what about the <clears throat> the study that shows that people who like and I, don't ask me what it is, <laughs> but you guys look it up. The people who like team sports tend to be team players. So people who associate with teams, they're better in a group. Mm-hmm. As opposed to people who do not like team sports, so maybe he said "we" because that's what people do when they we lost. Well, no, you didn't lose, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, and people, by, by the way, you know I'm, this, I'm the keep in mind, I'm the same exact way. The funny thing is, people will be like, "Oh, we won," and then they'll be like, "Oh, they lost." <laughs> you know, I'm a big. I like the Buccaneers, right? I'm a fan of the Bucks, and I'm a big fan of Tony Dungy. He yeah. was a great coach for the Buccaneers. He's the one who built our Super Bowl team, and then they passed it off to Chucky to actually um, 
you know, win the Super Bowl. He was like, it's like if I could use another analogy from a different sport, if you will. Um, he was the one who built the race car. Tony Dungy built the race car. And then uh, Chucky drove the race car, right? So, <laughs> by the way, I think your chicken might be uh, <laughs> under attack over there. That's right. That's right. We got uh, chicken in the studio today. It's dinner. And, uh, of course, we've got kitties. We always have kitties, but I've got a brand new kitty, like a young uh, kitty. This is probably the either the first or second show we've done with that kitty in here. And that kitty has no manners. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, you know, you're, you're dealing with. This is a great segue. Are you finished talking about? No, this? no, no, no. I was gonna say, um, uh, you're right. Uh, so, so Chucky drove the race car, but, um, you know what? I forgot where I was going with that. Basically, uh, I, I really, it was a big fan of the Buccaneers, but I'm not really a big sports team guy, and I've never said like, oh, we won. Like the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl, and I never said, oh, well, we won the Super Bowl. It just, it never occurred to me. I never felt like that about it. I was really happy for them, and I watched the, you know, the game, and I thought, um, oh, they're great, and I cheered for them, but I never associated with them. You know what I mean? Well, I think I think that's that's very interesting because I don't associate with teams either. I uh-huh. I often say I would rather do great things myself mm-hmm. than allow my identity to be tied into the greatness of others. Right. You know, and so it's it's very interesting. It's always I've always been that way. I've always I've always wondered what's going to happen when when you know your team loses. And I know I, I've heard, and uh, how do you react? Because I've heard some, there's some men who will not sleep with their wives when their team loses. <laughs> I said, um, I said really? <laughs> really? I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know, the, the things that people will do to themselves, like I'm mad, so I'm going to do something to make me, you know, worse off. It just doesn't make sense to me. Like, okay, well, my team lost. Let me, uh, let me at least have some consolation. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, that doesn't make any sense to me. The whole idea of associating with a group of strangers that have nothing to do with you and and allowing your identity to be tied into that is, uh, what's the word, is unique. <laughs> yeah, well, I was, I was thinking some some psychological terms, but none of them really, really capture it. You know, like it's not psychotic. It's not sociopathic it's it, none of those things um and and those were the words that kind of came to mind but i was just kind of test them and, and they aren't it no so they, they don't add up it's just it's it's mm. what's the word what i i will say this collectivist yeah collectivist i'll use that's a good word what i will say is it does give you something to talk about around the water cooler uh-huh. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not really um you know, I know a lot my cousin actually is a lot like this guy, but he's also a leftist. And that's really kind of where I first noticed this, right? Cuz my dad's into sports, but he's more of a capitalist individualist. And my cousin is a very left-leaning guy, and he's into sports and he talks about sports the same way this celebrity talked about sports. But my dad talks about sports in a more objective like outsider looking in kind of uh uh, language. So you're saying then that Oprah, who's worth about 2.5 billion, were she rooting for a team, would never say we won. 
Yeah, no, I think Oprah <laughs> Oprah might say we won because she would buy the team. Yeah. And then she would be like, oh, we won. Yeah, we won. Yeah. <laughs> if you're the owner of the team, you get to say that. Yeah, yeah. And if you're the owner of the team, you get to say we spent money on this. Yeah, we spent money on that. <laughs> exactly. So she she could definitely do that if she wanted to. She could buy a I, team. She has enough money. She has team buying money. She does. I mean, that's, that's a... Um, that is an impressive amount of money. In fact, I think that the teams that I've heard about, the sales that have uh, gone through, have been like in the hundreds of millions. So she'd have, she could buy, you know, more than one team if she really wanted to. Well, I mean, if you look at this, the idea of of a thirteen year contract for for how much they're paying the guy? Oh, I have no idea. Um, it was like, are you talking about the guy in the tweet? It was like yeah. twenty three million in the last year. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's not a lot of money. I mean, for, for, and I always say this: when you are that CEO money, that CEO money, exactly. <laughs> when you if you are, don't if you don't count the stock options because it's that's just like the salary for from some of the top CEOs right now. Well, well, yeah. I mean, the top CEOs, and I I believe that's probably per year that they're making. And this this poor schmuck <clears throat> is only making twenty five million for for playing a game. For playing well, no, well, yeah, but I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I understand the value of the game is based on the number of people who are viewing it and the level at which they're playing. So I'm not really, um, what's the word? I'm not denigrating what he's doing. What I'm saying is that if you're going to make money, playing a game is one of the best ways to do it. Yeah, or or acting. You know that that's also not too bad either. Right. You know, I mean, <clears throat> you know, I remember I used to. I used to act when I was a kid. Um, you know, I'd go over to my friend's house and we'd act like we were Rambo and his friends, and then we'd like shoot the bad guys and act like we got shot and fall down. <laughs> so we did a lot of acting. We weren't necessarily at the level, right, that the, <laughs> that the stars are at. But hey, if you could make money doing that, I'd definitely go for it. Well, here are some guys. I can give you an idea of some CEOs. I'm sure. Make. Uh, you have. Uh Wow, not bad, not bad, not bad. Uh, Stephen Colfer, TripAdvisor, to his his salary for two sixteen was one point two million, for two seventeen was forty nine million. Okay. Uh, Jeff Bal- Balkans, Time well, now, Warner. You see, one of the things about that though is he built that business. In other words, when you're when you're being the CEO for a, a little over a million, that business is a small business. Yeah, but he Well, built- no, no, no. I'm sorry, not a small business. It's a medium-sized business. Yeah. When you're um at the same business and it's 49 million like a couple of years later, that is uh an amazing growth rate. So, okay, Hock Tan. Uh-huh. He, I think he's the number he 26 2016 he of he's a he's a CEO of Broadcom. 2016 salary 24.7 million. 2017 salary 1.3.2 million okay so wait wait 1.3.2 yeah million 103.2 million 103 yeah 103.2 oh you're that's um maybe one of your british idioms because you said point twice in other words the point is the decimal not the zero yeah okay sorry about that (laughs) sorry about that so friend so so we're looking at so a CEO is making that per year what this guy's getting paid for 
I think his contract was maybe 100 million over 13 years, something like that. So he's making that per year for what this athlete is getting paid for 10 years, hmm. for, for 13 years of play. And poor people always look at those numbers out of, out of context. Because you're, when you are the top, as we've said before, I, I have said before on the show, as when you are the top 1% of your craft, mm-hmm. you will make millions. Unless you're a teacher. Unless you, well, even teachers. <laughs> if you're the top 1% teacher of your class, there's certain, uh, there's certain, uh, there's certain, what's the word? There's certain colleges that will pay you and opportunities that will afford you. You can write books, you can do, you can become a professor, you can become. Well, now, I would, I would say that uh, our definition of the top teacher in your class is probably a little different because I'm looking at the, the best teacher and and all of those things that you're talking about are really determined by um, not who's the best teacher but who's the best um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, marketer. marketer. Yeah. Who's who's more famous? Who's written papers, you know, and things like that. Like I almost got published when I was in ninth grade as a geometry student. Um, and I say almost because I never actually wrote the paper up, but uh, I had interest, right? <laughs> so I'd come, <laughs> up, I'd come up with a new proof of um, a particular thing, and uh, um, it was a new way to prove that an angle inscribed in a circle was the uh, equivalent to the bisector of the opposing angle um, in in the of the center of the circle. So anyway, um, I. I haven't described it in a while but anyway the point is um if you can if you like there's no real uh you just have to you have to come up with something that's a little bit new a little bit interesting to get published because there's so many publications out there that they're willing to publish a lot of stuff i mean you just have to come up with something that has a little bit of interest or a hook to it that people would want to maybe read and especially these papers or magazines that are like very narrowly focused. Yeah. I mean, that would be, you know, right within a very narrowly focused uh, magazine or uh, periodical. Um, yeah, but anyway. So, it's, a, it's interesting stuff. I mean, you, you, were, you were just saying, I mean, you think about that. You think about the 1%, 2%, 3%, 4% within their fields. I I have no problem with them making millions. Right? Millions and millions and millions of dollars. Not only that, these people are putting their butts on the line. Their health on the line. They spend the rest of their lives after sports or even during sports in pain and in discomfort as they grow old. Mm. And Howard Hughes said before he died that he would give all his money for one day of good for for good health and so good health has no price tag it is immeasurable and extremely valuable to those who do not have it and so if you look at the fact that they're throwing their lives on the line for 10 years of play Uh sometimes five years of play and the rest of their life will be filled with misery and pain and discomfort yeah let's pay them please well, I mean, uh, uh, let's hope not. But, I mean, at the same time, we do know that there's a lot of, um, uh, what is it, this CT, CTS or mm-hmm. yes. Uh, concussion yes. uh, 
tackle syndrome or something. I, I don't know what they call it, but um, they, there is it's it's kind of a big thing right now in the sports world that you know you play football. There's really no way to stop this damage that's happening to people's brains when they're involved in these really high impact uh, hits. So over yeah, and over repeatedly and over again, right? I mean, there is no way. And so, so I have no problem with those guys and other athletes getting lots and lots of money. Well, you know, they're they're saying that even the uh, the, the lower paid athletes on the spectrum really aren't even being paid enough no, to handle this. And uh, they're so there's a lot of people right now pushing for the NFL to handle medical costs for players beyond uh, their time in service. I think I believe they should. Yeah, it's because they're getting hit. They're getting hit more than soldiers. Oh yeah, well, soldiers really don't ever get hit like this. Uh, soldiers might get shot, you might get blown up, but you don't get hit in the same way that they they're hitting uh, NFL athletes. Yeah, no, no, there's no one getting hit like this mm-hmm. consistently, game in, game out, unless you're in a fight <laughs> for your life. <laughs> well, you know, the boxers actually, the boxers, the MMA fighters actually do kind of deal with the same. Um, kind of injuries yes but not as consistently not consistently because you will have a fight maybe that's true like once every few months really yeah if, if you're if you're <laughs> and that's when you're on the smaller side of things but when you're when you're famous you might have a fight a year mm-hmm. you know if if it's really good a fight every two years every three years so we're not looking at a lot but these guys are getting hit play in a hundred imagine 300 pounds coming at you at what 10 miles an hour <laughs> only 300, <laughs> 300 yeah more or more coming at you full force hitting you play in play out play in play out you're getting maybe a hundred connections a day of a per game per <laughs> of of getting hit like that per game I mean, there's no way possible because your body was not made to take that type of abuse consistently without running away. That's fight or flight mode. But you're you're going back the next play to play again to get hit again. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I don't know if I don't know if a hundred is, you know, maybe twenty. But I mean, still, it's it's a lot. No, no. Think about the plays. Right. Ten plays. Uh huh. For down. Okay. And then multiply that for the whole game. 10 plays per down. Meaning you have 10 yards per down, sometimes four to five plays. Okay. And then multiply and then take take all that and put that through a whole game, up to a two-hour game. Yeah, but I mean, you're not... And if you're on the offensive line and you're blocking for the whole... Yeah, but that's not what they're really talking about. They're not talking about offensive line and defensive line. What they're really talking about is um, the people who are getting tackled. Like the quarterback getting tackled and the wide receiver getting tackled. No, they're talking about everybody, man. Talking about hits. Everybody hits. Just a plain, just the idea of your hair jarring because you got hit again. Yeah, but that's not. No, those those hits. I don't think. I mean, you're okay. You're talking about line of scrimmage. Yeah. You're talking about these two like really big guys. Yeah. They're starting from about um, two to three feet away from each other, and they just kind of raise up and and connect and start pushing. That's not really as much of a hit as the tackles yes but it's every what they're saying is that it's accumulative so the tackles yes are a bigger hit uh-huh. but you're looking at that jarring every play for for as long as you're playing for yeah i don't think i don't think you get jarred enough 
for that to count. They they say it does. Okay. Well, yeah, that's the whole idea. The idea is that it does count because it's a cumulative. It's it's you basically you're in a fight uh-huh. consistently. So even if my even if in the fight. I shove you. Keep in mind, it's a 300 to 250, 250 to 300 pound person coming at you full force mm. every play. Every when you're uh, when you're at the line of scrimmage, just hitting you and hitting you again and hitting you. And they pride themselves on how hard they hit you. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm I'm actually just as I'm listening, as I'm thinking about uh, something that uh, that that really goes it like oh man all this all this next conversation is going to be connected and i just want to start off by saying uh you know don't try to don't try to fool me with the facts you know uh but anyway um go on yeah segue i'm, <laughs> I'm interested you you my water is my mouth is watering right so you know recently i had uh, jury duty right yeah so this was interesting because we went in and all I made it to the voidir process, but of course I was not selected. And I, I kind of am wondering what that was about. One of the questions that they asked was if we could follow the judge's instructions. And at that point, we didn't have the judge's instructions, right? So this was basically the, the attorneys asking us if we would sign a blank check. And I basically, I told them, I don't know that I could say for sure I would follow the judge's instructions when I don't know what they are. And yet some other people said, oh yeah, I wouldn't have a problem. No big deal. So I wonder if that wasn't an issue, right? Because they, oh, and then I did say something else. I said that if if um, I knew that a doctor was being paid for by the defense, that that would color my interpretation of his testimony. But at the same time, if I know somebody, a doctor is being paid for by the pro, the um, plaintiff, um, that that would also color my view of their testimony. So uh, basically, what's going to happen is in this particular case, they, by the way, voidir, um, it means speak the truth. But I think those particular attorneys thought it meant opening statements because they were just hammering, uh, you know, the the. Uh, contingencies, the uh, the hypothetical scenarios. They were just like pounding those hypothetical scenarios home, and I'm like, okay, I know what this case is about. I know what the issues in this case are going to be now that I've listened to all these questions. That is the art of jury selection, my friend. It's also the art of persuasion. Indeed. So, um, anyway, the, <clears throat> um, the I did not get selected, and I I. I'm pretty sure I kind of understand why, but at the same time, the questions that they asked made me really think that they were looking for people who weren't independent thinkers. You know, there's a, a couple of uh, psychological tests that have been done. One of them was the Ash Conformity Test, right? And in the Ash Conformity Test, they showed participants, like they would have five participants in a room, and the, the actual subject of the experiment would be like the number four person so they'd ask something very simple like which of these lines is longer or shortest and it would be a very obvious answer the first three people would give an incorrect answer right and then the fourth person who's really the subject of the test he would have to give an answer and he would have the choice basically of going along with the 
wrong answer that had been given by the previous people or giving the right answer, right? And what they found was very often people would give the wrong answer in order to conform to uh, the answers that everybody else had given. Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, that's that's one test. And then they also have the Milgram Authority Experiment. And I, I, I know that this is something that everybody's heard of this, um, even though very few people have done it. Uh, it was it happened, I think, in the 60s, maybe the 50s. And what they did was they basically uh, told people that they were shocking somebody um, and, and punishing a person that they couldn't see, but they could hear them, right? And they could hear them screaming, and they say, okay, turn the, turn the shock up to seven and give them a 15-second jolt. And then they would do it. And, you know, then the person on the other end would start begging, please, please, don't do it. Don't don't shock me anymore. And the person in authority would say, it's okay. You will not be held accountable for this. Go ahead and raise the level to eight and give them a 17-second jolt. You know, or whatever it was. They And then they would do it. And people would absolutely just keep doing this. And they would be struggling and breaking down and, and they would kind of ask not to do it but then they would go ahead and actually do it and only a few people would stand up and say I'm not doing it just I'm not gonna do it so these are two rare traits in in humanity um, we call them ash negative and Milgram negative um, and they're they're kind of rare traits but they also happen to be traits that very um, highly correlate with the kind of people who, you know, stand up to um, injustice and, and things like that. So the kind of people who become famous for standing up and saying, this is the wrong and here's what's right. Mm, I was going to say the opposite, the conformity is what you see in high school. Yeah. And grade school and elementary school. Well, you just see that you see it really everywhere. Yeah. It's the most, it's more common to be a conformist than to be a nonconformist, and it's more common to be um, willing to accept authority than it is to be willing to challenge or question authority, and especially with the consequences that come along with it in society. So it seemed to me like the lawyers were really looking for um, people who were conformists and willing to uh, accept the authority of the judge, even if the judge told them something incorrect right and now of course i don't know if they even know that they were looking for that but that seemed to be the thrust of the questions right so um it it it, it also seems to me that that would be um bad for society in other words we believe we have this idea that we're innocent until proven guilty and then we have a right to a trial by a jury but if you get six conformists on a jury panel and the judge kind of gives an, any indication at all of which way he thinks the jury should go, boom, the jury goes that way. Yeah, that's so, our system. Yeah, it, 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 it seemed... Um, Justice is not blind. Well, But it can be. And, 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 and I want to say that with money... With enough income, with enough money, you can poke out justice's eyes. Yeah, and I think that's that's what's wonderful about the system is 
And what's horrible at the same time is that you can find justice. And what, 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 I, what I feel bad for is a lot of people watch television mm-hmm. and they believe that the lawyers that they get when that's assigned to the public defenders are going to be like the guys on television. Right. Fighting for them, looking for clues. <laughs> no, no, honey. <laughs> that's, that, that's not going to happen to you unless you have good money or you happen to have a public defender who actually cares. Right. But I think they overload them to the extent, to the, uh, to the extent that they do not they cannot afford to care. There's too many cases. I was actually just watching a video um, of a public defender who had just picked up a case. Um, I don't know if you heard about this, but the UC Berkeley student who was accosted um, by somebody else on the UC Berkeley campus. And um, it took the police a while to find the guy. But they finally they found him. Anyway, the whole thing was done on video. So now you have a, an assault on video and... <laughs> This poor public defender picks it up and is like, uh, yeah, I think it's important to uh, to realize the people who are upset about this are upset about constitutional rights. And one of the constitutional rights that my client has is the right to uh, the presumption of innocence. And I'm like, yeah, he is presumed innocent until proven guilty. But I tell you what, if you don't get that video squashed, he's guilty. He's coming up guilty. That's right. And there's no... I mean, it's a video. It's on video. Permission to suppress the video. <laughs> well, that um, you know, I, I actually hope that they don't suppress the video. I don't think that it's prejudicial. I think that it, in fact, is the that's, main piece of evidence. Well, that's the whole case. Yeah, that's the whole case. We saw you. It wasn't me. Well, no, we there were... We saw you. On the video, you can also see that there was like 10 other people around. So there are also... A sufficient number of witnesses if they wanted to go in that direction so i mean he's he's probably gonna get found guilty anyway but at the same time i think he's probably not taking a plea because i don't think they've given him a legitimate plea deal uh, the, i don't think they've given him something he can take yeah a lot of people get scared we talked about that last show a lot of mm-hmm. people get scared into taking or a couple of shows ago get scared into taking taking, <coughs> taking pleas because they keep you and they uh, they keep you and don't they don't feed you and all sorts of foolishness. But you know that's 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 a great segue to internment. And and I noticed that you have some prisoners here in your in your studio. Oh, and I believe that the authorities should be notified. I am the authorities, as far as they're concerned. And, and I, I think <laughs> that. That, and I'm going to read to you a. I didn't write this. But I think many people have heard it, and I love it. I I think that that is a YouTube already. Uh, there's a video on YouTube that yeah. is the uh, Sad Cat Diaries. Yeah, I love it, I, and I love it. I think I'm going to talk about this because I think it has to do with with who we what 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 we allow around us. Now I'm going to read this. We many have heard this. The Dog's Diary. 8 a.m. Dog food, my favorite thing. 9.30 a.m. A car ride, my favorite thing. 9.40 a.m. A walk in the park, my favorite thing. 10.30 a.m. Got rubbed and petted, my favorite thing. 12 p.m. Milk bones, my favorite thing. 1 p.m. Played in the yard, my favorite thing. 3 p.m. Wagged my tail. My favorite thing. 
5 p.m. Dinner, my favorite thing. 7 p.m. Got to play ball, my favorite thing. 8 p.m. Wow, watched TV with my people, my favorite thing. 11 p.m. Sleeping on the bed, my favorite thing. The Cat Diary. Day 1983 of my captivity. My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. They dine lavishly on fresh meat, while the other inmates and I are fed hash or some sort of dry nuggets. Although I make my contempt for the rations perfectly clear, I nevertheless must eat something in order to keep my strength. The only thing that keeps me going is my dream of escape. In an attempt to disgust them, I once again vomit on the carpet. Today, I decapitated a mouse and dropped it, its headless body, at their feet. I had hoped that this would strike fear in their hearts, since it clearly demonstrates my capabilities. However, they made condescending comments about what a good little hunter I am. <laughs> Bastards. Uh, there was some sort of assembly of their accomplices tonight. I was placed in solitary confinement for the duration of the event. However, I could hear the noises and smell the food. I overheard that my confinement was due to the power of allergies. I must learn what this means and how to use it to my advantage. Today, I was almost successful in an attempt to assassinate one of my tormentors by weaving around his feet as he was walking. I must try this again tomorrow. <laughs> but at the top of the stairs, <laughs> I am convinced that the other prisoners here are flunkies and snitches. The dog receives special privileges. He is regularly released and seems to be more than willing to return. He is obviously retarded. The bird must be an informant. I observe him communicate with the guards regularly. I am certain that he reports my every move. My captors have arranged protective custody for him in an elevated cell, so he is safe for now. <laughs> so, I mean, you look at the, the idea of having killers. Now, we've had, I've had cats in my, my life. My, my right, life. right, right. We, we allow these killers in our home. Oh, yeah, they're cute little killers. They're, they're killers, man. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine if if we had friends like that? Murder, murder. Because you, you see them looking out the cat, looking out the window. A bird, all of a sudden they, they have this this this, this predatory like stare. As they, they don't even notice you. And they, they look evil. And and you know and you can say, oh, this thing's gonna this thing's, he he means to do some harm. And and you know he. He, this, this, he or she, they, they will kill. In fact, they, they will kill things. Well, you know, um, I, I had, uh, three rats in a room that I was staying in one time, and uh, I, it was, it was basically a converted garage, right? So I was sleeping in the garage, um, but it was a pretty nice, uh, you know, obviously four walls and a roof, um, but uh, what happened was, uh, rats kind of burrowed through the wall 
um, where there was an appliance on the outside of the wall and appliance on the inside of the wall, right? So they were hidden on both sides and they thought that they could burrow through there. And in fact, they could. So um, we, uh, we had a cat at the time, and what I did was I basically brought him in. Oh, well, the, the, the actual moment where I knew that I had to do something was when the rat uh, basically came up on the table at the end of my bed and stood um, on top of my VCR, looked me square in the eye, and I woke up and I looked down at him. Like, What's up? He was just sitting there, and I was like, you do realize this means you have to die. Um, are we experiencing technical difficulties? No, keep on going. Keep on going. Okay. Okay. So uh, anyway, I said, you do realize this means you have to die. And he scurried back down and um, basically into a, a, an area where I couldn't get to him. So I was like, all right, well, how am I going to deal with this? Well, we had this one little cat. He was uh, kind of a black cat that uh, was extremely playful. Like of kittens... This kitten was so playful that he would rip up people's hands. You know, he was just, he was just always playing and he did not know how to tone it down or stop or anything. And I was like, perfect. That's exactly what I want. So I brought him in there with me and he was like mad because I, I made him come and sleep in the room and he didn't want to sleep in the room. And then all of a sudden um, I go to sleep and he, he would not sleep with me. Right, because he was like, uh, no, I'm a killer. I'm gonna go sleep by myself. And then all of a sudden I wake up and I'm hearing shuffling and I hear And the cat is throwing this rat up in the air, playing with it, and then when uh, and then throwing it like higher on the last throw, like throws it up in the air a couple times and then throws it real high and then like jumps and, and pounces on it again. <laughs> <laughs> He's a killer man. That's a killer. Like a Republican <laughs> on a stupid AOC statement. Uh, so he's pouncing on this thing, and he's uh, it, it's funny because that's what they're saying. The, the, the Republicans are pouncing. Anyway, um, <laughs> so he's <laughs> he's really having a, a ball with this thing. And I go over to him and I'm like, "Hey, uh, what do you got there?" And he's like, Row! "It's mine." <laughs> and I'm like, "No problem. I don't want it. Just take it outside. Open the door." He runs outside with the rat. And I'm like, "Okay, perfect." So the next one, I got one with the rat trap, right? Because um, obviously they work at least a little bit. So I, I got that one and I threw it away. And then the, the third and final rat that I had a problem with, and he was in the room, um, he he came out, I saw him one day, and then I you know, picked up my BB gun, right? And I pumped it up 10 times and I was looking, basically there was a, a cabinet next to the wall, but it was kind of between him uh, he was between the wall and the cabinet yeah and um he was just sitting there on like a little piece of the shelf looking at me like yeah, there's only three inches you can't get in here and i was like yeah you're right i can't and so i i pick up the gun and like i'm it was a bad angle and i had to like shoot it left-handed and i'm like man i don't know if this is gonna work but and, and it was a bb gun too so like i only really had one shot i was probably gonna scare him if i didn't hit him so I raise it and I look at it and I get a bead on him. I mean, if for some somehow when I say I get a bead on something, I mean that like my mind has formed a shooting solution. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm gonna hit this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I'm gonna hit this. Yeah. And as I'm pulling the trigger, I realize I'm gonna hit him. And then boom, I hit him. He drops to the ground. 
he's surprised as heck. <laughs> he's like, I didn't think you could hit me. And then he scurries into a like a, a little area that is not even visible. It's it's in the cabinetry, uh, right? And so now I'm like, oh great. So he's gonna sit there and die, and he's gonna start smelling bad. So what am I gonna do? Well, I go get the cat again, right? And I'm like, hey, kitty, come on. <laughs> We've got another rat in the room. So, um, and and he just was uninterested in anything. He didn't want me to hold him. He didn't want me to carry him over there. And then when I put him down and tried to show him that there was a, a, a crevice between the cabinet and the wall that he could get into, he didn't want, he was like, and he's like, you know, doing like the moonwalk, trying to walk backwards with his little front paws. And then all of a sudden he goes, Boom, takes off like a rocket, hits the exact spot, turns right, grabs the mouse, comes out. I'm like, good kitty, it's mine. And I'm like, fine, I open the door again, he walks right out, and that was the end of the rats, you know? So that is why I have cats, because I don't appreciate rats, and I love kitties, right? They're so much fun. Oh, but you would never have people around that with you. They're sociopaths, psychopaths. Hmm. Kill. Kill, murder, murder. <laughs> I'm sleeping. Kill, kill, murder, murder. I mean, they're not friendly animals at all. But can you imagine having a child like that around the house? Well, you know, actually, it's funny you mentioned that because what they, what um, psychiatrists have found with mammals is that they learn to socialize through play. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I brought home this third kitty, um, you know, obviously. The first two kitties were hissing at it, and he was hissing at them, and they didn't like each other. And, you know, so the last time I brought a kitty home, it took over two weeks, like maybe a month, for them to actually acclimatize to each other. Well, this time, on the second day that this kitty was here, and they're all, like, rowing at each other and getting really mad, I start throwing the balls, right? I've got about three to 400 of these little Nerf rival balls around here. And... Um, uh, they are my number one kitty's favorite toy, right? And I actually, he used to fetch them. He no longer fetches them because he knows I have so many. He just sits there and goes, "I'm not, I'm not bringing it back. You just, you got plenty over there. You're just gonna throw another one, and I'm just waiting for you to throw another one." So he'll like, he'll crouch down, he'll wiggle his little butt, and he'll look up at me like, "Come on, I dare you, throw it." And so, and I throw it and he'll jump up like, um, I'll show you this a little later, but like he'll jump higher than these tables to get the balls. Like if you bounce it right, he'll just jump way up and he'll be like, Rawr! and he's uh, flopping around in the air and he like, he's super accurate too. Like he'll get it a lot. Um, he's trying to tell you this could be you. Keep on messing with <laughs> Throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. Yeah, he he thinks that. Um, but anyway, uh, so this the second day I started throwing the balls, and the big kitty started playing with them. And then the little kitty kind of noticed that the big kitty was playing with the balls. And he was like, oh, well, what's that? So I could tell he was getting interested. And so then I started throwing them a little bit closer to the little kitty, right? And the little kitty would, like, try to swat them. And then he'd look at it as it goes by, and he'd, like... Um, you know, it was, he very much was paying attention to it. And then I started bouncing him off of the pillow that was behind the kitty because he was sitting on the couch, right? So I bounced him off the pillow that was behind the kitty and then they'd fly off in front of him. And then finally, um, about four or five of these balls past the little kitty, he jumps down and starts playing with them. So now the big kitty and the little kitty are playing together with the balls. Brilliant. And... <laughs> They have not fought since, right? And I actually, um, I wrote this up on Twitter, and I just kept throwing them until I was out. 
And um, at one point, the big kitty was just like tired. He was tuckered out because I usually don't throw them all for him. I usually just throw like 20 or so. But I mean, he was tuckered out and he actually found like a pile of these balls and he curled up on them and just laid down on a pile of Nerf rival balls uh, like he was a fuzzy little dragon defending his hoard of gold. I mean, he was so happy. And, uh, yeah, and, and they haven't fought since, so it's it's really pretty good. Okay, so let's 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 correlate that back uh-huh. to the beginning of the broadcast when we when we said that when we said that play, some people believe right. that group play and association with group play mm-hmm. is is better are, are better for people who are going to work in as a as t- it, it it helps with team play. You get the idea, right? Right. So okay, so can you see a correlation between those two things? The, the cats playing together to bring unity and people liking a team and associating with them right. as another way of bringing unity. Well, I could probably uh, tie that better to the Olympics, right? Because the Olympics are actually, um, they have a long history of being a thing that people stopped wars for. Like back in the Roman times, even if people were fighting and, and waging war, they would stop waging war to attend the Olympics and to have uh, to have their athletes go to the Olympics, have the um, people go to the Olympics, they would stop wars for that, which was, it, you know, it's kind of an amazing thing. And I actually had just kind of realized that the two were related. But um, so, yeah, I could definitely see um, <laughs> I could definitely see play uh, being a way that humans overcome uh, adversity, even even right before World War Two. Um, you know, the Germans uh, stopped their blitzkriegs and so forth and, you know, hosted an Olympics and went to the Olympics and uh, participated. In I think Jesse Owens was in that. Um, yes. Uh, there was something about him winning and uh, uh, Hitler <laughs> being unhappy about it. So oh, I, yeah. I, <laughs> Hitler, oh, yeah. Hitler was extremely unhappy about it. Um and and actually, uh, later I learned that there was there was a um, German athlete who later won. Um, I think it might have been like boxing or something like that, and he won this big thing, and he became an Olympic gold medalist. But he also was uh, helping hide people during the Holocaust. Wow. Yeah, yeah, which was interesting. Like, um, and you know, I know. I've known a lot of people in sports and um, who, you know, work out and, and stuff like that. And, well, some of them are just really narcissistic. Uh, others have developed very great personality traits, right? And, and the, actually the majority of the people I know that do this are just really great people to be around. Um, and I think there's something to that. I think um, also I would I look at The Rock Right, and I see him as somebody who has some of these really great personality traits, and it's probably due to a lot of the sports and the uh, working out that he's done over the course of his life, where he's actually, you know, competed. Um, even even like in wrestling, it's more of a social activity than it is like a real competition, because obviously you're working with the other person to try to figure out what you're going to do and all that kind of stuff. Um, I have a great story about wrestling. Oh, really? I told you already. About teammate teamwork. Did I did I mention Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant? No, but I've heard that story. Go ahead. Well, it, it's 
it was a great story. I mean, so so Andre was Andre was having some issues. He was in a lot of pain, and it was during the rise of Hulkmania, right? And it was one of the last times Andre would fight. You know, uh huh. And so he asked Andre to do this thing, do do do. It was a fight between Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan, right? And Andre agreed, even though he had, was in was in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andre, so they're there in the ring, and Andre's fighting, and Hulk Hogan's fighting, and Andre whispers to him, "Body slam, body slam." And so Andre sets it up so Hulk can body slam him. Hulk, Hogan can body slam him. Right. So he sets it up, and Hulk says he picks up Andre and tears a few things. Well, he does it. He didn't get him all the way up. He just got him, you know, part way up. <laughs> and then he body slams the guy, and he knew that it would cause Andre a lot of great, more pain than he was already in. Uh-huh. And yet Andre still did that because he cared about Hulk Hogan's career, and he cared about wrestling. Right. And I thought, wow. Uh-huh. What a story about team, about sportsmanship, and about trying to do something good for your organization or, or for your sport. It was wonderful. That was that's one of the best stories I've ever heard. Yeah, you know that reminds me of Samson and how he let Delilah cut his hair. <sighs> wow, <laughs> I am not even gonna go there with you. I'm not even gonna go there with you. Oh man, I'm gonna play with you. That was a, okay, okay. So, a, so, so, in next, case people missed it, that was from a few shows back. <laughs> okay, so next topic. <laughs> next topic is the. Is AOC? I want to talk about that a little bit. AOC and the court and her her issues. Now they're saying that she may be. I don't know if the Democrats are saying that or if the enemies are saying that. But we don't know. So we. I don't know. I can't. Put, right. And and I actually uh, I do know it is a it is a conservative think tank. But what they do is they go and they investigate um, campaign finance. It's it's actually like all they do is um, they they basically. A group that is uh, dedicated to figuring out what's happening behind the scenes. They go through filings with a fine-tooth comb, and what they found was that um, Alexandria Casio Cortez, either her or a pack, or it was it was an organization, right? Like so, I think her pack uh, paid money to a limited liability company, um, and itemized those expenses as strategic consulting yeah and what that means is and it was it was something around eight hundred and eighty five thousand dollars in strategic consulting that they paid to this other organization that was also them right like her campaign manager and her were the pack and then her campaign manager and her were also the llc now i think you have to have a third person on the board too so probably there's a third person in there somewhere but we haven't uh heard that in the media reports yet so <laughs> that's not good if it's true right well it, it um so what you have to understand is that the pack is required to itemize its expenditures yeah and what that means is if you do something with money you have to say we spent this much on this we spent this much on this yeah, and so sense. forth and so on well the it seems like the purpose and this is what the complaint alleges the purpose of doing uh, 
this in giving the $885,000 worth of uh, campaign expenditures. By the way, all of this is from media reports, so I might have a few facts wrong because as we know, the media is not too accurate um, when it comes to these things. So anyway, the $885,000, um, the, the whole point of this is so that they don't have to itemize it. Um, and then basically they may have done things with it that uh, may or may not have been illegal. You can't tell anymore because it's no longer itemized. There was another kind of a stink about how her boyfriend ended up getting paid $6,000 um, in in two months, uh, which, by the way, is not actually as much money as people are saying because it was for um, you know web development services. And quite frankly, web development services, that's about the right amount of money. Um, anyway, she he then moved in with her um, and people are looking at all these things together and I, quite frankly, the whole boyfriend thing, I don't think there's anything to that. There's no corruption to it. I'm sure it happened, but there's no, there's nothing corrupt about it. Um, the, what is concerning if the reports are true is that they shielded or concealed their expenditures through the use of the LLC uh, that should have been itemized by the pack, and that is the crux of the alleged uh, the the complaint to the FCC and um, or FEC, Federal Election Commission, and that is what she could be facing jail time for. Now, people have looked up the laws on this, and well, she hasn't been. No one's coming after her for it. No, no, no. Oh, they're they're going to investigate this. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So she. So, so no 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 I mean if if it's found if they believe that she's done this they'll prosecute and she could be facing time in jail. Um, her campaign manager and she could be facing at least 5 years in jail. Um, and that's depending on how many counts of this they find. If they find that there's more than one count of the charge then obviously it just multiplies by 5 every time. If it's time. legitimate. We'll, we'll see how legitimate it is. Oh yeah, I'm not I'm not saying that it's legitimate, and I don't know if it's legitimate, um, but it is, at the very least, compelling. It, it is compelling. And yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the no more Green New Deal. No more. I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. I am singing too early. <laughs> well, I th- I think there's there may be something here, um, and, and this is more of a, a visualization of the cosmic all than anything else, and and. You know, visualization of the cosmic all is the idea um, from the Lensman series. There's a, a set of aliens that had, you know, evolved as far as aliens could evolve, and they'd spent their uh, centuries, eons, developing the power of their mind and their deductive reasoning skills so that they could figure out what was going to happen. Like, they could look at any artifact from a planet and determine what would happen on that planet from the beginning of life, from when life began on that planet to when life would end on that particular planet. So, um, they, uh, anyway, the, the whole idea um, of this, I have kind of this crazy idea that uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was really supposed to be an inoculation or uh, some kind of a vaccine. Like, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to see her. We're supposed to see how crazy it is and learn our lesson and never go down that road. <laughs> now, I think that um, one of the things that you have to understand about a vaccine is that part of the reason the vaccine is effective is because 
the organism that you're being vaccinated against is actually really um, the, the power is taken away from it. It's basically a dead uh, version of that um, uh, that organism, uh, that that bacteria or or whatever it is, um, virus. Uh, but it's not deformed, so you have to like your body basically gets to see it but it doesn't actually get the chance to um infect you so the idea is that if uh, alexander ocasio cortez uh is a virus and this is somehow divinely or a, a vaccine and this is somehow divinely orchestrated then she's got to get taken out somehow and that might be what we're about to see so it's possible it's possible that that did you call her a germ I called her I called her a vaccine actually that's a, it's a, the most positive spin on germ you could possibly <laughs> you called her a germ <laughs> no I, I think she's she's an inoculation she's uh, the booster shot for our uh, socialism vaccination <laughs> well you know you cannot do anything what's you cannot do anything untoward when you are going against the grain. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> when you go against the grain, you need to be squeaky clean. Well, you know, I think she may have gotten a little caught off guard. I mean, I don't think her... So her campaign manager is the guy... I mean, he's... He is um, a businessman. He's already a millionaire. Um, I think that he may be the guy who kind of was the uh, the strategic impetus behind this whole situation. Yeah, she may have deniability. Um, well, I mean, whether she has deniability or not, she's on the board of these companies. So that's, in other words, she's probably going to take a hit regardless. But, I mean, it doesn't seem like she's the one who had the knowledge to make all this happen. Yeah, so, so I don't I don't believe she knew. She may not have known. She, she might sit on the board and name only because mm-hmm. it's the thing to do and not... She might not have known of anything. That's what she would say. That's the same thing as, as uh, Trump saying with, with the other with the with the other gentleman. I didn't know anything of what he was doing. I mean, he didn't tell me. Anything. Well, now he was okay. That's a little different, actually, because uh, Cohen was Trump's lawyer, and well, let's say they can say, "Don't tell me anything." Though. Well, sure, but I mean, he could say just you know take care of it, and Cohen actually when he went up, I mean, I've I've looked a little bit more into this than the last time that we um uh had talked about this but like cohen actually said like trump never directed me to lie i just knew that's what he wanted me to do so that's not okay i mean that's not like you you can't say that as a lawyer (laughs) because if you're getting directions my assumption is if i have a lawyer and i'm telling him to take care of an issue that i'm telling him to take care of it legally not illegally. I wasn't asking my lawyer to go and break the law in order to take care of a situation. Of course not. That's absurd on its face. And so Cohen sitting there, well, Trump never said he wanted me to break the law to handle these situations. But I knew it. I knew he wanted me to do it. No, you're a lawyer. Like part like 90% of your job is just to not break the law. It's the same thing as her sitting on the board. You don't know how much she knew because she's running a campaign. So you don't know what she knew because sometimes sitting on the board... Well, okay, you're right. So, and, and uh, I'll, I'll draw this analogy, right? So she has a campaign manager who is doing, you know, uh, organizational things. 
And so she, you could say that she's assuming that he's not going to break the law. Yeah. And you could also claim that um, she didn't know about the transfers until after the fact or something like that. Or me- never knew about them. Or, or never knew about them or didn't know that there was anything improper about them. You know, that kind of thing. It's so possible. she has deniability. Even if she knew it, she has. Well, my point is that she, she has may, deniability. She may have deniability. Yeah. It all depends on uh, the records, the emails, the you know, because they do have subpoena power. So if they go into her records and they go into her emails and say, "Well, we want this information," um, she's not Hillary Clinton. She can't get away with uh, wiping her server. She can try. <laughs> there can be a EMP blast that wipes out all the servers in a spe- specific area. Listen, she's a freshman congressman. I don't think she's got access to EMPs. I mean, I'm just saying, like, maybe a powerful magnet, like a Gauss degaussing magnet, she might have access to that. But that's not powerful enough because if you do that to a drive, there are still people who can recover that information. Yeah, there's that. Uh, well, well, let's see. You know what the best way, and this is this is a tip for all you techies and, and people with computers out there, you know the best way to destroy a drive is? A screwdriver or a hammer. You just drill through the platter or you just like smash it to bits and uh, you know like a big sledgehammer, right? You can smash the case and then smash the platters or just take that screwdriver and zzz, zzz, drill a few holes, boom you're done. You're never getting anything off that platter again. <laughs> so the, and the thing about uh, hard drives, I actually was... Um, I worked for a company where we had uh, uh, secure stuff, and, and I actually was friends with the IT guy, and that's how he destroyed stuff. So he he would go in and uh, basically destroy those those secure drives with the secure information on them uh, after they'd been wiped or you know the data had been transferred somewhere. But if it ever had secure data on it, it had to be destroyed in that meth- in that manner, or else uh, we would lose our security. We're, we're launching our new company called uh, uh, Corporate Security, mm. and uh, we will destroy all your data for you. Oh, well, I'll destroy your data. <laughs> I'll, I'll find it on the cloud, and I'll delete it all. Um, I mean, destroying data is actually not the hard part of data management. Destroying the data is easy. It's keeping the data that's hard. You make, you're making sure you have those backups, that's... That's the tough thing. Ooh. So um, the the companies that I've seen that have had problems with data management wasn't on the destruction side. It was on the maintenance side, on the, you know, making sure they had backups, making sure they kept all their data. And I've seen a couple of companies recently get hit with some uh, very um, serious malware that just wipes out everything. And they basically have to take their hardware, wipe it down, to bare metal and start from scratch. Wow. Mm-hmm. Don't let this happen to you. Yeah, we don't have, by the way, any advertisers at this point that would help a customer like that uh, avoid a, an issue like that. But we need to get some advertisers because, you know, first of all, uh, it, it would be a great service if we could tell people about things that would help them out. Yeah. And it would be, it'd be even better if we got paid to do it. Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. we're going to start hunting for advertisers. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me know how, let me know you're fine there. <laughs> okay. So, so next topic, let's talk about, I, 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 there might be something there. I'll go back, backtrack a little bit. There might be something there. I'll be, I'll be very curious to see. 
I want to talk about something. Uh, I want to talk about a little bit. I want to approach this differently. I want to talk about men's rights, and I kind of want to talk about this. And really, men run everything. All war, a lot of most wars are started by men because of men. Well, most wars wars are fought by men, and wars are also then um, you know men die in those wars. Yeah, start started by men, fought by men. Okay, so. And, and a lot of collateral damage because of men. So I'm, uh, and men run the world for the most part. So I'm not going to. So I'm not going to talk about men's rights in that respect. I can say we have it coming, but I want to talk a little something about something that I heard on that I heard <coughs> I heard that a comedian say this, and I thought it was poignant. And so there is sexism against men. I won't say against. Well, no, against men. And I understand. I th- let's look at Harvey Weinstein. Uh huh. And let's say Harvey Weinstein was a woman. He would have been one of the ugliest women of all time. Exactly. And let's say. Mm. Oh, oh, is that he comes? Exactly he comes. Right he comes to your <laughs> exactly. Let's say he comes to your son and says, "Hey, you know what? You want to be Flash?" She comes to your son. She says. You need to sleep with me. Most dads would say, "Well, son, <laughs> does she have a son? Do you have a cleric? Is it a good contract? <laughs> give, give the nice lady what she wants." I I don't know, man. I, I uh, it's female is it, Harvey is, Weinstein. Is it, a, is it a cleric contract? Let's uh, let's look. Mo, and and cause let's face it. If it were the guys who were complaining about the sexual, nobody would care. Let's say, oh, okay, that's all right. I don't know about that. I mean, I, yeah, I know about that. There's no way nobody will come on if they said, "Listen, I, I, I'm gonna steal somebody else's work." But if they said, mm. "Listen, son, you're gonna be Batman, but you gotta give me, you go, but 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 you gotta sleep with me." Here's the problem with that. There's a couple of problems. First of all, I don't have kids, but I am having a hard time imagining myself tell my son, "Go for it." I don't think I. I don't necessarily think I would. Son, right? you're going to be the Flash. <laughs> so, but I, I mean, t- but here's t- the other. Take your Christianity out of it, okay? No, no, think, no. I'm. Son, I'm just saying. I can't. Son, you're going to be the Flash. I can't you- say what other people would think or do. And Look, it's not it's not even like my I'm not saying I have a moral qualm with this. I'm saying that I would look at her and go, "Well, I don't want to sleep with her." So I'm not going to tell my son to do take that. Take one for the team. No, I just don't I don't <laughs> take think one. That Listen, way. they're not giving Teslas away. <laughs> they make those babies by hand. You got to work for it, son. Work for it. Don't complain. And even and after he gets the part, he says, "You know what I had to do to get this?" He'd say, "Shut up, man. Take one walk it off. Take one for the you know, I mean, but uh, here's the thing. So let's say you did go through that. Most guys wouldn't give it a second thought. But there's a different. There's a real difference between men and women, right? So when you have sex, a man is more or less depositing, and the woman is more or less taking the deposit. So in the psychological uh, scheme of things, like even if you are a dude who, let's say, you fall on a grenade for the team or whatever. It doesn't stick with you the same way that it does for a woman. In other words, if a woman is 
um, has to is, is put in the position of having to have sex with an undesirable it is a much more scarring uh, situation I disagree you don't dis- you, I disagree. You don't think so huh? I disagree I just think that it's scarring for both and and like like, is. like, like Chappelle said he said when this woman said well because CK Lewis said that you have oh. fragile dreams. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm just gonna jump to the punchline on yeah, that. One. Yeah, because you have fragile dreams, exactly. my lady. Yeah, if C.K. And Lewis Lewis masturbating on the phone while while you were while he was talking to you makes you not want to be a comedian anymore, you have <laughs> fragile dreams. And the same thing. Listen, because let's face it, I believe it's equal. I believe that in so. This, I, yeah, I gotta stop you with that though, because in fact, this is one of the this is one of the biggest pieces of wisdom that I've picked up, and cool. this, part cool. of this was in the military. Part of this is from uh, you know physics understanding is this idea of asymmetry, and asymmetry is a really interesting concept, right? Yeah. So asymmetry in the military, like basically you have these people making five dollar bombs that um, are the cause terror for marines that are riding down around in multi-million dollar vehicles right the idea of a molotov cocktail that can be used to stop an armored personnel carrier the idea of a hundred dollar device that will cause a billion dollar drone to crash into the ground trending insurrection